appropriately, will start with me telling you on Friday, I went to San Jose, California for the first time in my life. This is where I should start singing, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? Um, uh, but uh, that would make everyone leave. Or I left my heart in San Francisco, I guess we could do. Um, I went to, to, to San Jose and I had a meeting and I had, I, I had like very, very little time from the time we landed to get to the meeting. Just enough time to get in my rent car and the rent car had one of those little never lost GPS type systems. You know what I'm talking about? And so I plugged in the address of where I was going and I started driving. There I was, and I was not doing my BlackBerry. I was not emailing while I was trying to drive in a strange place, late, trying to make a meeting. None of that was going on. I was just being extra cautious. But for some reason, I didn't make the correct turn. And the Hertz Never Lost system not just gives you uh, GPS directions, but it talks to you. And generally, it talks very nicely. But sometimes it gets a rather harsh tone where it starts saying, make the first legal U-turn, make the first legal U-turn, make the first legal U-turn, and it wouldn't shut up. And I couldn't make a U-turn. There's all these trees there, and and so it kept talking. But finally, I got to make my U-turn, and I made my meeting. I went to the meeting. The meeting uh, uh, was over. I went back, and and I was uh, coming back to Houston, and usually I spend my time on the airplanes either reading or writing these lessons. That's uh, a a good time to do it because the phone doesn't ring. And so I sat down, and I thought, boy, I've got to put the introduction down to my lesson. And I thought, man, what a good example in a kind of basic way of what happened to Paul in his conversion on the road to Damascus. Because Paul needed to turn his life around. Paul needed a U-turn in his life. The never lost system needed to give Paul direction because Paul was lost. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning is Paul's conversion. And I'll give you a road map. And generally, I put for the road map of where we're going. That's, by the way, speech talk. A road map means I'm going to tell you the three points of the class. So that's why for speech people, I'll let you know that our road map this time is from California because of San Jose. First thing we're going to do is we're going to relive the story. I want to tell you the story of Paul's conversion. It's a wonderful story. Luke tells it three times in the book of Acts. Luke leaves out a ton of things I'd love to know throughout the decades of church history. But for some reason, with limited space and limited ink and limited time, he dedicates three different chapters to the story of Paul's conversion. It's that important to him. It's good for us to relive it. So first thing we'll do is relive the story. The second thing we're going to do, I want to ask some relevant questions about the story. Now, I'm not just going to ask him. I'm going to throw out some answers too. But I want to pose those questions and I want you to look at them with me because they're very instructive. If there's one, one of the main purposes for this class in my brain, for me, one of the main purposes of this class is to give a serious in-depth Bible study 
that we cannot get in other places. There's no way that Pastor Fleming on a Sunday morning can give an in-depth Bible study because he's got thousands of people from so many different walks of life that are in there that he preaches the message and he preaches a very biblical message. But there's a difference between what he's able to do in the limited sermon he's got and what we're able to do if we dig down and that's why we can call this Bible study because we're here to study in some depth. So I want to ask some relevant questions that may not get asked if you just casually look at these stories. But when you spend time digging into them, these are good questions that we need to look at. Then the third thing we'll do is we'll give our points for home at the end. So with that, let's start by reliving the story. The story is told in Acts in three different places. We not only have the story in Acts, but we have references to Paul's conversion in some of Paul's writings. In Galatians, Paul talks about it. In Philippians, Paul makes some references to it. So we'll look at those as well, but mainly the conversion story comes in the book of Acts. In the ninth chapter, Luke gives the actual narrative. Here is how Paul was converted. Okay. Then in chapter 22, Luke tells us about Paul making a, a, an impassioned defense before a Jewish mob. And when Paul makes that impassioned defense before the Jewish mob, Paul tells the mob about his conversion. And then the third time is in 20, Acts 26, where Paul is brought before King Agrippa. Festus brings Paul before Agrippa and says, Hey, Agrippa, you ought to listen to this guy's story. It's really bizarre, and I could probably let him go, but he's appealed to Caesar. But before he goes to Caesar, i got to write a report. I don't even know what to put in the report. This is a problem I inherited. It's a bunch of red paper. I'm not happy with the situation. And you're here with your sister, and i got to entertain you for a week anyway, and I'm running out of stuff to do. And so why don't I bring him in and let you examine him? King Agrippa says, okay. And so Paul goes to King Agrippa, and Paul gives his testimony there and talks about his conversion. So those are the three places in Acts where it's talked about. The story is not a complicated one, and it's not a long one. Paul is, the Greek reads so strong, so pungent in this sense. Paul is inhaling, he, he, he reeks of persecution of the church. He smells, the way Luke writes, he smells of wanting to persecute. It just reeks out of every pore. And so Paul is is not only persecuting in Jerusalem, but Paul's zeal is so big. Paul goes to the chief priests and the leaders and says, you give me letters and I'll go arrest the Christians, those who follow the way, quote unquote. I'll go arrest the followers of the way that are in other places in Damascus. I'll bring them back bound and we can punish them. We will stamp this fire out for good. And so the chief priest gives him letters of authority. And Paul heads to Damascus to stamp out the church. Um, I guess I should have put him on a Harley. But uh, uh, Paul goes to Damascus. The Damascus Road is a, a road through a lot of wilderness. Dale sent me, was it 150 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus, about that. 
about 150 miles, which is the distance maybe if you drive up I-45 from here in Fairfield, I think you computed it. Uh, it's, it's a pretty good walk. Paul heads up there and Paul takes with him his uh, letters of authority to arrest the Christians. Paul not only takes the letters of authority, but he takes a set of companions. Luke doesn't tell us about the companions, but most scholars all agree that basically what he took is a troop of Levite police. Those are, are priests, police. Okay, well, that may not quite be the picture for it, but you get the idea. So Paul's going to arrest him. He's got his troop of of uh, uh, goon squad. I don't know what you call them. He's got his, his policemen with him. And they're headed to Damascus. Now, while they're on the road, around noon, about noon, Paul says, midday, a sudden light shines down. Oh, actually, that's a little bit better. That's the Damascus Gate. That's where they're headed. As they're going about noon, a bright light shines down around Paul and his companions. Now, and I, I, I'm sitting there and, and I'm trying to think, how can I, how can I, you know, what is it? And the only thing I can think of is, is the, uh, science fiction movies where the UFOs come down and, and they, you know, put that bright light around someone and t- that would be a shocker for me. And Paul falls down before the bright light. I have no doubt he was scared. I would have been scared. Things like that do not ordinarily happen. How many of you have been walking somewhere in the middle of the day and had something brighter than the noonday sun all of a sudden shine down on you from above? Okay, not very many. we got 350 people in here. I'm not seeing any hands. Not a normal occurrence, but it happens to Paul. Paul falls down, and then it's not enough to have this bright light. Paul hears a voice. A voice from heaven says in Hebrew, Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul's reaction is to say, well, who are you? He adds Lord. That's not as in, um, it's the same word, but, but he doesn't mean it in the sense of God, Lord Jesus type Lord. He, it's, it's also the polite word for sir, someone who's like worthy of respect. Okay. So, uh, who are you, uh, sir? Why are you persecuting me? I'm telling you what I'd be thinking. I'd be thinking, you know, I just finished stoning Stephen about a chapter or two ago. I'd be thinking, oh, all right, but who are you, Lord? And the answer is, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I love this. I love this because it gives good insight into Paul's writings. And we're studying Paul, and we're going to spend a good bit of this year, God willing, studying Paul. When Paul writes about the church, do you know one of his favorite phrases to use for the church? 
Paul calls the church the body of Christ. And for Paul, it's got to go back to that moment where Paul's persecuting the church. Paul's not persecuting Jesus' flesh and blood. Jesus' flesh and blood's in heaven. But Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When you persecute my people, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting the body of Christ. And so Paul will call the church the body of Christ as one of his favorite expressions throughout all of his days. Because Jesus said, when you're persecuting the church, you persecute my body. And Jesus calls on Paul and he tells Paul, Paul, you need to make a U-turn. It's time for you to turn around. You're going the wrong way. You're lost. Here are the words. Jesus says to Paul, For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to your people and the Gentiles. He says, To whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's uh, that's pretty stunning. To have Jesus come. You know, pastor started out our service this morning and he said, if Jesus were standing right next to you, we walked into this room, what would you say to him? And that really hit me when Pastor Fleming asked that question. But now we can flip-flop it. What do you think Jesus would say to you? This is what he said to Paul. He says, you need to make a U-turn. See, i got things for you to do. You're going to be my witness over here. You're going to do this. This is what you're made for. Now turn around and get yourself together and let's do it. And so Paul gets up. He's blinded by this process. The bright light, the whole thing. Paul is blinded. His companions have to lead him by the hand. Paul goes into Damascus. Jesus told him, go to Damascus and wait. Wait. Okay, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I hate waiting. Okay? You want to get on my nerves? Send me an email that says I have something real important to talk to you about. Or how about this one? Leave me a phone message. Hey, Mark, there's something very, very important you need to know. We'll talk later. Half the reason I wanted to open my own law office as opposed to working for other people is because I wanted the ability when someone says to me, there's something very important you need to know. When I say, what is it? I don't want people to be able to say, I'll tell you later. I hate waiting. It's not in me very well. So I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I can remember when I was a kid. Mom's sitting out there. I can remember as I, when I was a kid. Mom telling me. I mean, she knew how to do the wait thing. You know, it was, 
Okay, you're in trouble. What's wrong? Well, I'm going to tell you later. You just go to your room and think about it. Or we'll talk about it when your father gets home. And you get in your room and you just start thinking, well, you know, you start thinking through everything. What did I do wrong? And what did they figure out I did wrong? You know, it, it, it's not fun. So Paul goes to Damascus for three days to wait. Okay, let me tell you what, I, I don't know what went on in Paul's head, but I don't think it's rocket science to figure it out. I mean, the first thing he's got to be thinking is, okay, time out. I had put all of these scriptures together to figure out how this whole thing was wrong and blasphemous to God. Turns out it's right. Where did I mess up? And he's got to be working through those scriptures that says, wait a minute, the scripture said, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. So Jesus couldn't be Messiah because Jesus hung on a tree. So that meant Jesus was cursed and the Messiah is blessed. He's not cursed. Where did I go wrong? Oh, maybe he was cursed for my transgressions. Paul's not only going to spend those three days, you know, playing these videotapes in his brain, but he's got to have that videotape of Stephen going. I mean, it's one thing to say, I falsely imprisoned someone. It's one thing to say, oops, they got lashings they shouldn't have gotten. But to say, oh, we wrongfully killed them? That's the ultimate. That's why it's called capital punishment. It's the ultimate punishment. You hope and pray that our legal system, you know, if you falsely convict someone and they accidentally or wrongly spend a year in jail, that's a tragedy. That's horrible. Don't get me wrong. But how about if you find out you're sitting on a jury and you vote the death penalty and they are killed and then the DNA sample says, oh, they weren't guilty. And if I'm Paul, you know, I grew up in a religious system. I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. What do you do when you sin under the Jewish old sacrificial system? You take your sacrifice and go to the temple. Paul can't even do that. He's told stay in Damascus. And so he's got to be sitting there saying, boy, this isn't like a sacrifice a dove. You know, this is going to be pretty serious stuff. And then he's got to be thinking through the scriptures. Well, wait a minute, though. Jesus is the sacrifice. And so he's replaying those scriptures and all of his training and all that he learned. He's replaying the sacrifices for sin. And it's starting to occur to him and God's spirit's moving in him. Hadn't received the gift of the Holy Spirit yet, but the Holy Spirit's still working on Paul at this point in time. Now at this point, enter Ananias. Ananias is a good, devout Jewish believer. God appears to Ananias and God says, Ananias, I need you to go over to the street called Straight. And in the house of Judas is Saul of Tarsus. Now, by the way, you're Paul. You're having to replay these tapes and you just happen to be staying in the house of a man named Judas for these three days. And God's working in the details, isn't he? So Ananias says, 
not in defiance, not challenging Jesus as Jesus appears to Ananias in a vision, but Ananias just says, hey, I've heard of this, Saul. This is the guy that's been persecuting the church and got letters to come here to persecute us here. Jesus says, yeah, 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 that's the guy. He says, i got plans for him. Don't worry about all of that. He's going to be my light to the nations. He's on our side now. Ananias says, okay, Lord. And with no fuss at all, Ananias goes to Paul. you got to admire Ananias. It's what Pastor Fleming said this morning. God, what do you want me to do? Yes, Lord. And that's what he does. So Ananias goes to see Paul. Paul knows someone named Ananias is coming to see him. Three days, Paul plays the videotapes, but never takes a drop to drink or a bite to eat. He fasts from food and water for three days. Ananias comes in. Ananias says, The God of our fathers appointed you to know His will, to see the righteous one, to see Jesus, the righteous one, to hear the voice from the mouth of Jesus. God of our fathers, Jewish fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appointed you to know His will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from His mouth. Because you, Paul, will be a witness for Him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. So let's get started. Why do you wait? Stand up. Be baptized. Wash away your sins and call on the name of Jesus. And Paul does. Then, Paul eats. That's the story. Now, question time. Why are there differences in the three accounts? Why are there differences? There are. And it's really fun to go back and look at different authors. I'll bet I've got 60 or 70 books on Paul. And that's a hangnail of what's out there. But I went back and I started looking, and it's so fascinating to read over the last 120 years as scholars sit there, and and there are some scholars who notice the differences and write and say, well, this is very clearly uh, just some of the many problems and inherent conflicts in Scripture, and and uh, or they won't even say Scripture at that point, in the Bible. You know, this is a sign that the Bible's got inherent inconsistencies. Or some will say, this is a sign that Luke... Uh, didn't really write Acts. It was put together by a compiler a hundred years after all of these events who obviously took three different traditions of Paul's conversion and put them all in. The, and I read all of this and I just, I don't know whether to laugh or to cry. Because that just seems to me absurd. It's absurd to me. And I'm just talking to you as, I'm, I'm not going to be your Sunday school teacher for the next five minutes. I want to be your lawyer. <laughs> okay? That's what I really do for a living. This is just something I get to do for fun. That I do for work. And I've done it for 24 years. 
And I've handled thousands of cases. Mike Moriarty, right here. Same thing I do. You've been doing it how long, Mike? Forty years. Mike and I have not discussed this point at all. Come stand by me while I ask it. Haven't talked to him at all. I just, I, this is my, my, this is how much confidence I have in what I'm going to say. You be honest. You tell him if you agree or disagree. <laughs> Uh, this is what I've noticed. When you do what we do, one of the things you do is you get cases with lots of witnesses. You'll have witnesses that are interested in the case. You'll have witnesses that are not. And every witness can tell a different perspective of what happened. And you can have three different people telling three different perspectives, and none of them are lying. They just come to it from a different angle. And one of our jobs is to put it all together and understand what happened. Is that fair? Car, car intersection, you can have five people, and they see it with different eyes. They see a blue car, a red car, but the same thing occurred to all of them. And you just have to ferret out and put it together because they see it with different eyes. And it's it's a great thing, and this is a great lawyer. And, and, you know, okay. you uh, but that, 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 the line. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Time's up. Your closing argument's over. Um, but, but the, the point is, I mean, and, and, all right, now let's take one witness. One witness is going to tell the story differently depending on who the audience is. I give probably at least one speech a week if I'm if I'm not doing other things. And and last week uh, or the week before last, I had to give a speech in Fort Worth one day and a speech in Dallas the next. And I was given the same subject to speak on in both places. But I found out who was in my audience, and I changed my presentation in each one. Same subject. I, I told the I got the message across or tried to that I was supposed to. But my presentation was different because I had different audiences. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't it make sense that different purposes... I'm sorry. Different purposes make for different presentations? Paul is going to make a different presentation to King Agrippa than he makes to the Jewish mob. He's going to emphasize... You know, when Luke's telling the story and Luke's pressed for space... Luke gives the story, and Jesus says, I am Jesus. When Paul is telling the Jews about it, and he says, I, the voice says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. That's no less accurate. It's just for the Jewish mob, it was helpful to add of Nazareth. And for Luke's purposes, that was a waste of space earlier. We, we have a tendency to want to treat Scripture, well, let, let me... Let me give you some other examples of differences in the different stories. Did the companions hear Jesus or not? Now, we can look. we got to move. I don't know why time flies. For y'all, it's probably not flying. It's going real slow. But for me, it goes by pretty quick up here. Um, if, uh, uh, if we look, first we're going to look at Acts 9. You look at the story in Acts 9. Okay. Are y'all able? This is not easy. 
holding the mic, too. Hold on, guys. Okay. All right, you got the mic. Mike's got the mic. It makes it a double mic. Okay. Got Betty's Bible and Betty. I'm trying real hard not to break. This is the King James Version, okay? Acts 9, verse 7. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Y'all see that? Hearing a voice. Okay? Now, when Paul's telling the story in Acts 22, Paul tells the story, and he says, And they that were with me saw the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice. Acts 9, they heard. Acts 22, they heard not. You're reading your King James Bible, and some people write it off and say, Oh, oh, that's a, that's an inconsistency. That's a, that's a mistake. That's an error. This shows the Bible's not inerrant. Well, the truth of the matter is, we need to be good scholars. Whoops. Oh, yeah, that's okay. I'm going to keep it there. The truth of the matter is we need to be good scholars. The the way the Greek is structured, and I put this in your lesson because I don't have time to go through it, but the way the Greek is structured, you can take the same words and put it in different cases, and it changes the meaning. And so, for example, if you look at an English Standard Bible or the New International Version, they explain what is meant here in verse 9. It is as follows. Let's see. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Where is focus? Ah. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice. See the difference? It doesn't mean they didn't hear. It means they didn't understand. As Luke told it the first time, they heard but it's kind of the Charlie Brown thing when the parents talk. Wah, 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 So they heard the voice, but they didn't understand what was being said. Okay? Did they fall or stand? Some might think there's a contradiction there. There's not. And I explain why as we look at the passage carefully and look and understand what the language really is as it was originally written. Where it says in the first place that they stood, it means they didn't turn around and run. It doesn't mean they literally stood up. They fell to their face, the companions did. But they didn't turn around and run. And that's what it means. Was Paul really converted? Legitimate question. He was born again. He says that, but I don't think Paul would have used the word converted. Paul would not talk about being converted because for Paul, being a Christian is the proper way to be a Jew. Paul was still a Jew, but he was a fulfilled Jew. He was a born again Jew. Everyone, Jesus told Nicodemus, needs to be born again. Jesus wasn't telling Nicodemus he needed to be born a Gentile. He was saying he needed to be born again. When Paul talks about uh, in the church 
that there's neither Jew nor Greek, he doesn't mean there's not really a difference between Jew and Greek. He means we're united in Christ. Because the same passage that says there's neither Jew nor Greek means says uh, there's neither male nor female. Well, he's not saying that we are gender free. He's saying that we're one in Christ. Paul lives as a Jew. He endures 39 lashings multiple times as a Jew. Um, you would not do that. Uh, Paul doesn't need synagogue lashings if he's not a Jew after his conversion. They want to lash him. He just turns around and says, I repudiate my Judaism, and he's free. But he wouldn't. Jews and Gentiles were in the church as one, but they were still Jew and Gentile. So if we... We can use the word converted because in our brains that's what happened. But I'm not sure it would have been Paul's word. I will tell you what Paul was. He was called. He was commissioned. Paul references Isaiah and Jeremiah when he says that, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. God had a purpose for him and a call for him. And that's why Paul makes the U-turn. Now, Paul's U-turn, this is a point for home. I just didn't label it, but I cannot pass this up. Paul had, and, and I'll finish in if you'll give me three minutes. Paul had so much on the ball. This is a guy who had money, family history. He was a who's who among first century Jews. He was top scholar. He was top lineage. He had the knowledge. He had the training. He was, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, most likely. And Paul says, for the sake of Jesus, I counted all of that as rubbish. I counted it as garbage. I counted it as refuge. I counted it as something that belongs in the dumper. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ and being found in Him, having a righteousness that doesn't come from works of law, but comes through faith. And he writes to the Philippian church and says that. He says, everything I had was garbage compared to what I have in Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, if Paul had not really seen Jesus on that road, if Paul had not really heard Jesus, his conversion would have lasted about I don't know if I'd have made it three days of fasting. I think once the scales had come off my eyes, I'd have said, ah, oh, I can see clearly now. That was a really bad dream. But it wasn't for Paul. Because he saw Jesus. Now, point for home. God called Paul, but God calls every believer. God calls and commissions everyone. I see Ron Hickman right there. He's up for election. He says to me, Mark, God wants me in this position and I'll get it or he doesn't. And then I don't want it if he doesn't. But it's not just Ron Hickman. It's all of us. It doesn't matter where you are and what you're doing, where you are in your walk, in your life. Doesn't need to be an elected official. Doesn't need to be something showy. It could be something quiet, something silent. You could be old. You could be a student. Doesn't matter who you are. God's got a reason for you and He's got a call and a commission and something for you to do. He never calls people just to be Christians. Would you pray with me, please? 
God, I thank you so much for this class and a chance to share with these folks. And I thank you for the blessings that we have in Scripture. And I pray that we'll all study diligently to understand them, that we'll never take an easy cop-out of the pseudo-intellectuals who want us to write off your word as anything less than it really is. I pray that we will study to show ourselves approved before you as workmen and women, people who have no need to be ashamed, who rightly handle your word and who understand it and where there are areas we don't, who seek out your wisdom, your truth. We thank you so much for the story of Paul, and I pray that as we continue to unfold his life and his teachings, that you will move in all of our hearts to see that you love us 100% as much as you loved him. And that in your great plan, every one of us has a role equally important in your eyes to the role that Paul had. And that you will equip us for what we need to do. Lord, we've come before you with shortcomings, mistakes, errors, so many problems. And just acknowledge you as a God who's able to use all of that to the good of your kingdom and to our own good. And in that we rejoice as your children. Through Jesus, amen.